Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Susan, this is uh, one of two or three reports annually that I think everyone in the compliance community looks forward to. And we use... Uh, both for an educational to benchmark and maybe see what uh, we can improve on going down the road. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. In this edition, I visit with Susan Divers, Director of Thought Leadership at LRN on the firm's 2023 Compliance Effectiveness Report. It's a wealth of information that I know you'll want to utilize in your program going forward. As always, we link to the full report in the show notes, so I would encourage you to check out the full report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. First, a quick message from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And you're in for a real treat today because I get to visit and actually we get to visit with Susan Divers about the LRN 2023 Ethics and Compliance Program Effectiveness Report. Susan and I have visited about this report uh, multiple times over the years. And as always, it's a great report. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome back, Susan. Thank you, Tom. It's always great to spend time with you. So, Susan, this is Uh, one of two or three reports annually that I think everyone in the compliance community looks forward to. And we use uh, both for an educational to benchmark and maybe see what uh, we can improve on going down the road. So with that in mind, I was wondering if we could start off with uh, some of the highlights that you and your team at LRN found that went into, that uh, got into this year's report. Sure. Um, so, Tom, interestingly, uh, the questions we asked this year, um, we shifted them somewhat, and you had an influence on that because you and I have talked about um, the changing risk situation um, and that now with the war in the Ukraine, the tensions with China, uh, I just saw that Huawei may be banned as a supplier uh, by the Biden administration and um, what's going on with Iran and other places, um, there are increasing demands on companies' compliance teams to make sure that uh, they stay compliant with regulations. Um, So there's no going back to sort of pre-pandemic, you know, uh, everything is fine and 
we just kind of continue improving our program, um, there are real life challenges out there that compliance teams need to meet. Um, so what we saw this year in particular, I guess I'd call out three things. Um, one is that, as you know, we rank programs. We had about um, close to 1,900 respondents worldwide, and we rank them according to our index, which is all explained in the report, um, by high-performing, mid-level, and then less impactful programs. And what we saw is that there's a greater gulf um, than ever between high-performing and less effective programs. And it's particularly in two areas. One is um, high-performing programs are very focused on making their programs engaging and easy to use for employees. So they're really employee-facing. Um, I think perhaps in the past, there is a tendency to say, here's a policy, read it. It may be very hard to read, and it may be written in legalese, but that's your problem. Um, or, you know, here's the training, and it's an hour-long lecture on the intricacies of antitrust law, which even as lawyers, that could um, be pretty mind-numbing for us. Um, and I think the pandemic forced people to sort of rethink that a bit. Um, and so we see much more focus on making things employee-friendly, uh, whether it's training um, or having a searchable code or simplifying policies and making them searchable. Um, and then the other area that won't surprise you is um, data analytics. We see that high-performing programs are very focused on determining the effectiveness of their program using analytics. Um, and uh, we just reinvented our entire platform. It's now called Inspire 2.0. Um, and we really enhanced our analytics. We think they're the, the best that you can get out there. Um, they look at patterns in trading uh, trends, whether it's subjects that people fail um, more than others, um, time spent um, taking a particular training course, results on end-of-course surveys, um, learner feedback, um, and um, we've even embedded a small culture pulse survey at the end of certain courses that you can ask your employees to take. It's eight, I think it's 10 questions, and it gives you a quick insight into what the sentiment is in terms of issues like respect and integrity in the workforce. So, you know, data um, and using data rather than activities to chart how you're doing is really a big deal. But then, somewhat surprisingly, um, we also found that our respondents were you know, pretty evenly distributed across the world, found that most programs responded pretty much the same. Um, it didn't really matter where they were. We saw the one exception to that was in Japan, programs generally scored lower and reported sort of less use of best practices. But other than that, um, it's pretty clear that a global standard for um, program excellence has kind of come together. Susan, one of the things that struck me about the report was an almost evolution 
maybe that's not the right word, but how compliance perhaps responded to the pandemic. I think uh, in 2020, you and I both observed and we saw in the report, the 2021 report, concerns about values, culture, really during the height of the work from home. Uh, that's modified a little bit with either remote work or returning to the office, but a lot of concern about how do we keep our employees engaged from the compliance perspective. And it looks like almost independent of people like you and me, corporations really turned inward to their own values. And so I was really struck by uh, this year, companies saying they were relying more on values than, I don't want to say old compliance rules and regulations, but perhaps how we did compliance or thought about compliance pre-pandemic. And it almost seemed to me this was an organic change because corporations had to uh, because of our work situation in 2020 and early 2021. But um, I think you and I over the years have tried to talk about we need to inculcate more values. And it seems like this report showed that that's actually working. Would that be a fair assessment from what you all found? Absolutely, Tom. And this is the third year we've seen those results. So it wasn't an anomaly um, when we first looked at this um, two reports ago. Um, and I think that's a fair characterization that companies looked inward and relied on values. And I'll give you one very stark example. Um, in our 2020 report, we talk about Braskin, North America, which is an energy grid um, uh, supplier. And they, their employees volunteered to isolate in plants at the height of the pandemic for up to a month at a time to keep the grid going. Now, you and I both know you can't force people to do that. Um, there's, no, uh, there's no rule or law uh, that says you have to leave your family for a month at a time of great um, anxiety and, and, and stress and go live in a plant. But employees did it, and they kept the grid going. Um, and there are many other stories like that. And in contrast, look at what happened with Foxcom in China at the Apple phone uh, plant where Chinese authorities basically locked people um, in the plant and people were screaming at the windows and trying to escape. Um, so I think that's as dramatic an example as you can get of the difference between the power of rules and the power of values. And I think that's a business um, insight, not just an ethics and compliance insight, as you say. Uh, there was a couple of other things that struck me, uh, one of which was the engagement of leadership, particularly senior leadership. But then I saw a bit of a drop-off when we moved to middle management. So I think it's certainly positive when we see engagement levels that you guys showed over, uh, well over 50%. But it also shows us some opportunities uh, for enhancement at middle management. And I, one of the things I know we've talked about over the years is how do you engage middle managers? But uh, I think the numbers really bear out that we really need to focus on that. But I'd like you to speak to maybe what you saw around senior management engagement and how we can use the numbers you guys saw around middle management to enhance that part of our culture and compliance program. Well, that's a good um, insight too, Tom. Um, and that's the third year we've seen that gap. Um, and again, it's the third year we've, we've asked about 
the response of senior leaders to the pandemic. Um, and they relied on values and they continue to rely on values um, for business decisions. Um, and so, you know, that's, as you mentioned, that's just a great development and it's organic. Um, I think we've speculated as to what the issues are with middle managers. And I think it, it's possible that in the wake of the pandemic, there were so many challenges um, with remote work, people um, isolating, um, trying to get um, people to be able to use company systems um, for meetings or whatever. I mean, there's a lot to sort out, as well as keep, not to mention keeping the business going. So it may have been that they just weren't as focused on ethics and compliance or values as we would have liked. Um, but we're continuing to see that gap. And so I think it points to the need to really empower middle managers um, and involve them more in ethics and compliance. And like one of the features of our enhanced platform is a manager's dashboard where at, uh, with a few clicks, you can see how your team or how your group or how your segment is doing in terms of their training and what, what topics they're struggling with. Um, it really increases visibility and transparency into ethics and compliance. And I think that's a good thing, no matter which way you do it. Susan, uh, the next section was titled ENC programs are impactful when it matters. When I read this, uh, the sense I got out of it, though, was that corporate values are driving business decisions and people are either uh, incorporating their own values into business decisions or raising concerns or, or raising their hand and speaking up, but that compliance programs are working. But I'm going to tie it back into the values discussion we, we had a little bit earlier that it seems that uh, organically, uh, I don't want to congratulate compliance programs because I see values in there, uh, but compliance program may be the mechanism by which they can put that value into a business decision. Did I see that right or wrong? Yeah, you did see that correctly. And that's what they should do. Um, as you and I know, when compliance programs first started, it was sort of the rules department, and it was often a quarter of the legal department, and nobody went there, you know, unless they really <laughs> liked going to the dentist or root canal. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, you know, compliant ENC professionals and people like you deserve a lot of credit for saying this should be the focal point for ethical culture. This should be a key focal point for determining who we are as a company. And that's not whether we say nice things. That's whether we make tough decisions and decisions that are in accord with our values. And, um, the pandemic, one of the unexpected benefits of that, I think, is that companies did that. Um, I, know, I hear very few negative stories about company behavior during the pandemic. I hear inspiring stories. Um, I think it was HP was talking about how they really addressed issues of employee bandwidth so that uh, kids could do online learning. Um, Dell moved um, big chunks of their compliance program onto our Catalyst app, um, including figuring out how to move their hotline 
onto Catalyst app because they figured out that that employees were fighting for computer time and and bandwidth at home. Um, and so, you know, those are real decisions. And the more you sort of make real decisions like that and see the benefits of doing it, the easier it can get. Um, and not to mention, I mean, the report does talk about um, regulators and the emphasis on um, personal responsibility and uh, the need to make sure that companies are accountable when things go wrong for things done by by executives and whoever. Uh, we always have a category of things we could do better on. Right. Um, and uh, the importance, I think, of that is just that, things that as an industry we, we really could do better on. But the thing I hope a compliance professional reading this report will see is they may feel like they're siloed uh, and really uh, everyone else is doing much better than them and, and they really can't reach out to their peers. But I think this, this grouping really shows uh, some of the challenges across the board so that I hope the compliance professional listening to this or reading the report will say, yeah, I, I can reach out. I can get some help from, from LRN. I could call Susan. I can call Tom or I can call another CCO. But the challenges uh, kind of break down into funding, um, both, both physical resources and, uh, and headcount. Um, compliance as the land of Dr. No, populating the land of no. Um, and uh, a couple of others. So I was wondering if you might give a few thoughts about some of these ongoing challenges. And I get, the other thing that struck me was the, the first one, which was many companies have upgraded or rather started or enhanced their programs in the early 2010s, mid-2010s. Well, that's now 10 to five years ago, and, it, and it's really time for an upgrade, particularly around the data component that you've talked about. Uh, are we at sort of an inflection point where companies need to really upgrade their controls uh, as well? Absolutely. Um, it, it surprised me. Uh, we asked the question, um, what are the, uh, which statements best describe the biggest obstacles to improving your E and C program impact and effectiveness um, in the past 12 months? And number one was internal systems need upgrading to facilitate better training, web-based resources, and data collection. And I see that in my practice at LRN. The companies I work with are terrific companies, um, and they're committed to effective ethics and compliance programs, and they have terrible, many of them, if not most, have absolutely terrible systems. I was on the phone with, with a Fortune 10 a couple of weeks ago, and their LMS uh, is just uh, uh, an obstacle in the road um, to rolling out um, better analytics more um, employee engagement, uh, or even tying it to communications uh, and all. So I really think we are at an inflection point. I think it's kind of a good analogy might be that we've seen in the IT systems area that we have to keep improving firewalls and anti-hacking and anti-phishing uh, procedures, and we have to invest in that infrastructure well, the time has come to invest in the ENC area in terms of data and platform, um, because as you know, um, regulators are very focused on that. 
And if you have to go in and explain why you have an effective program and you don't have reasonable or helpful or useful data analytics showing that your program is impactful, you could be in real trouble. Um, and secondly, it really helps with budget shortages and with um, staff shortages if you have a, a platform that can do many things for you and can take the tedious tasks of following up and reminding and collating and analyzing data and have it there, you know, with two clicks. Um, I think that I think that's definitely an inflection point that we're seeing. You know, I hate to reduce this report to a trite phrase, but the trite phrase I'm going to use, you guys used in it, which was meeting employees where there are. And that is one of the key uh, criteria or key indicia of an effective compliance program and indeed uh, uh, one that's very well run. And so that, Susan, actually seemed to me to almost sum up most of the results that I saw in here that companies are not sitting in their ivory towers, uh, obviously on high. Uh, they're meeting the employees where they are. And it's not simply with training and communications. It's giving the employees tools to make decisions or raise their hand when they need to. Uh, senior management is engaged with employees. Uh, the board of directors are engaged with employees. So it really struck me that that phrase really seemed to sum up the positive findings of this year and even the things that we can do better. And I was wondering if we might conclude with your thoughts on the importance of literally meeting the employees where they are. Oh, I think it's absolutely critical, Tom. Um, I mean, if I think the old view of compliance programs was, you know, giant checklists and, hey, we're good. You know, we trained 4,000 people last year and we updated our code. Yeah, so what? Um, you can still you know, have a major meltdown, you can still be Airbus, um, or you can still be um, uh, Wells Fargo. Um, so being able to reach employees and help them um, and also extend to them the trust and respect that if they have the right tools and information, they will do the right thing. I mean, it, rules aren't self-executing, um, but values are self-executing in that they provide a guidepost for people um, and inspiration um, and freedom to do the right thing. Um, so I think, again, going back to that Braskin versus Foxcom example, which I think is so stark, um, if you sort of make your, your program focused on employees and an ally and a coach rather than a cop, um, you get the kind of engagement and even heroism that you saw, and it wasn't just Braskin, there were a number of companies where employees volunteered to do that. Um, and that kind of superb performance, as opposed to literally locking people forcefully in their factories and having them, you know, highly distressed as a result. I think, um, I think we are in a good place that way. And it's very inspiring. Uh, Susan, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I was wondering if our listeners wanted to uh, get a copy of the report or find out uh, any more about some of the topics or LRN, topics we've touched on today or LRN, what would be the best place for them to go? If they go on our on our website, the report is now live on the website. Um, 
And um, if you just type in Program Effectiveness Report 2023, it should pop right up. Or you can just email me at susan.divers at lrn.com. I'd be happy to send it. And we're going to link to it in the show notes. So, Susan, uh, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure with me. Thank, Please thank the LRN team for, once again, this great report for 2023. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure to see you. Take care. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I'd like to give a shout out to our new production partner, Podflow, who helped in the audio production of this podcast. If you would like more information on the topic Susan and I discussed, I hope you'll check out the full 2023 LRN report on compliance program effectiveness. We've linked to it in the show notes. It's a great uh, piece of information for you, your compliance team, and your corporation going forward. I hope you'll join us again next week where we have a very special guest, Eric Young, who is going to talk with me about changes in CCO stature within an organization. I know you'll enjoy our next report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.